So as promised, we wanted to offer some bonus content this week to actually follow up on our awesome conversation with Rose earlier in the week. So for our first bonus session today, we want to have a short conversation with actual suggestions of how we can help teach our kids coping skills and to manage with the resources that we have. So stick around for a very short episode in which we actually talk about some strategies. Let's roll. Welcome to your doctor friends, the show that teaches you to sniff out the garbage and answers all the questions that you wish you could call or text your doctor friend. My name's Julie Bruni. And I'm Jeremy Allen. And we are two physicians who work at a nationally ranked practice and take care of some of the world's greatest athletes. We know that you have questions and we want to help. We want to be your doctor friends. So for our listeners, Rose, to follow up our conversation that we had earlier in the week about the mental health crisis for children and adolescents um, and for, you know, for our kids that have or for our, our, our listeners rather that have kid, like school age kids. Do you have suggestions on how we can teach coping skills and managing our feelings to kids on a more wide scale level, like in school? And, and is that already happening? Like, talk to me about this. Yeah, schools are a fantastic frontline and there are a lot of programs um, that are happening uh, teaching sort of like compassion emotion regulation mindfulness especially mindfulness like in kindergarten and um, first grade things like that um, so there are already some in in motion and I think more and more schools are taking the social emotional learning more seriously um, but again it just depends on if they have the resources available so advocate, get involved in your school, get involved in your PTO and advocate for um, resources to head to social emotional um, options, number one. Um, And then I think uh, there's not a skill, there's not a magic skill that you can teach anybody that then you're just like never going to have a bad feeling ever again. (laughs) Um, So again, that sort of uh, consistency over time and for parents to understand that their biggest tool available to them is their relationship and their time mm-hmm. with the kids. So like I said, the teenage brain is a doing and feeling brain, not necessarily um, a thinking brain. And so the lectures and the conversations and all the most uh, the most amazing points that you can possibly make in the whole world are, are not really going to do their job here. Mm-hmm. But being with and experiencing and having shared experiences and building that trust with them so that if and when something goes wrong, they can tell you about it. Also, then you get to know their baseline so much better. It's it's appropriate for teenagers to be sullen and risk-taking and anxious and weird. Um, so that's not a problem. Mm-hmm. But if they're more sullen, they're more anxious, right? So you kind of need to know their baseline. You have to have a sense of... Um, where they're usually at and where the deviation was and if that was a sudden deviation and the behavior changes so so that you can see those signs and be able to kind of say is something going on here here's what I've noticed you know can and again spending that time in the relationship with them Um, for younger kids they tend to really focus on the breathing and the naming of feelings Mm -hmm. Um, and that's a really important sort of fundamental piece is just being able to regulate the physiology through deep breaths and then naming a feeling, even with adults, studies have demonstrated that just labeling the feeling, I'm feeling angry, I'm feeling sad, in and of itself, just labeling the feeling, they call it name it to tame it, mm. um, improves significantly your capacity to regulate that emotion. So having an understanding, naming it, breathing. When we get into teenagehood, um, then being able to have um, skills around kind of uh, withstanding a wave of intense emotion, thinking of it as a wave, right? It will rise and it will fall again. That teenage brain doesn't understand that like it's not always going to feel this way. And so being able to um, use that analogy of a wave uh, kind of rising and falling 
um, being able to uh, name the emotions, validate their own experience. We can always understand that the emotion is reasonable, always. The information it's based off may not be. Am I thinking about it accurately? Is, is that Did that person really mean to hurt me? Um, and even if they did, so even if it is based on accurate information, is my next step that I want to do effective. So even if they did hurt me on purpose and that person really did call me names or bully me is throwing a chair across the room right now, like my best option. Mm -hmm. and, and so the feeling of anger, totally valid, totally understandable. Is it accurate? Is what you want to do next effective? That's, you know, where you want to kind of spend your time. So that way we're not feeling bad about feeling bad. I don't feel bad for the fact that I have a feeling or I feel like weird that I have feelings and I can't control them. I do have a feeling. It makes perfect sense. I have a feeling. Can I get to, what it's based on and what the next effective step is. So those are some, some tactics to kind of help kids organize how they relate to their emotions in a way that makes it more likely that they're better able to regulate them. How do you recommend checking in, especially with teenagers, just because I feel like there's that balance of checking in can kind of be like, leave me alone. I don't want to be anywhere near you. But at the same time, like we don't want to not check in because then we're not checking in. So I'm going to say, <laughs> going to say validate, but I also feel like, in, I'm, we have to do a recap of, of this podcast in like 20 years or maybe 10 years or something like that because I can imagine my teenager being like, stop validating me, mom. Stop <laughs> understanding my feelings. So annoying, mom. Yeah. You don't know my life. So I, yeah. you know, who knows? Rose has the only kindergartner that uses the word validate. <laughs> um, so, so I don't have all of the answers, right? I'm not the, the, the perfect parent with every magical regulation skill. <laughs> but, but I think especially with teenagers, I just think validation goes a long way. And humor mm -hmm. especially diffuses so much. And just giving them time and space, right? So don't expect an answer right away. Give them something to think about, right? So when you force a conversation and it gets luxury and it gets one-sided and it becomes a power struggle, they have, they have nothing to do all day long but shut down and not give you the answer they know you want, right? So just say, hey, I just want you to think about something. I've noticed that um, you've been a little bit more down lately. I'm just kind of worried something's going on. And I hope that if something is going on that you can... Um, come and tell me or that you feel like it's safe to do that. And I just want you to know that I'm here for you. The end, leave, walk yeah. away, go do something else, turn on the TV, but just like cut it there. Mm -hmm. Give them time to process that and then come to you. So make yourself available to them, invite them and wait for them to come. It's like, I think about like running after the dog that, that got away mm -hmm. The desperate parent, the desperate owner, mm -hmm. wants to run after that dog. Like, and what does the dog do when you run right after it? Way, way more. Runs the hell away. Yeah. <laughs> but if you counterintuitively, like you're, you're desperate, you want that dog, you're so scared for its safety. But if you actually just get down mm -hmm. on the ground, become calm, open your arms, open your stance, and just sit and wait, the dog is more likely to actually come to you, mm -hmm. right? So I'm not trying to say teenagers are dogs, but... <laughs> <laughs> being able to offer the invitation and being available to it. And again, continuing to build the relationship that they are going to take you up on it. And that's um, one of the best ways that you can do to keep those lines of communication open. How, do, how when, when kids bring up social media within therapy, like what, what how is it addressed with them in terms of like setting do the boundaries or like, I, I don't want to ask you to parent social media for everybody, <laughs> but maybe talk about kind of like how the community kind of looks at kids who are dealing with these things in social media. Yeah. And here's where we have to give kids a lot of credit. They know 
that it sucks and they know, they know that there's dangers and they know that there's risks to it and they know that it doesn't feel good and that there's bullying. Um, they understand the downsides of social media. So I think just having the conversation is what does it do for you? Like, is it effective or ineffective? It's not that it's good or bad or right or wrong. Does it work for you or does it not work for you? Does it work for your mm. friends? Does it not work for your friends? And where it does work for you, like where it's fun, you get to be creative, you're making videos, cool, we'll keep doing that. Where it doesn't work for you, where you feel like crap, where people are being bullied, where comments are, you know, it's just kind of the same conversation I have with an adult. Get mm -hmm. off the Facebook comments. Like, don't, you know, yeah. like there's plenty of times where I'll like have my diatribe, like delete, 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 delete it. <laughs> like it's not worth my time. Right. So teaching those skills to, to teenagers too, but just getting their take on why do they use it? What's helpful about it? What's harmful about it? Where did they set the line? Where did they set the boundaries? And they could probably lead that conversation better than anything. One last thing. So it, if a parent feels maybe like my child probably could benefit from services, like maybe, you know, like they want to recommend it, like how would you recommend a parent maybe approaching that with their, with their adolescent and kind of saying like, maybe we should look into seeing somebody. So again, uh, you know, how would you say that to a friend? It's always a little awkward to be like, maybe you should talk to somebody. Um, yeah. But it is so much more accepted these days. I think, again, I give a lot of credit to teenagers being very savvy and aware. Um, and a lot of teenagers themselves are asking for it. Uh, the, the parents aren't even the ones being like, I think you should see someone. The teenagers are like, can I go, mm -hmm. go see a therapist? Um, so number one, I think just, uh, you know, having an attitude toward mental health that's open to it, right? Mm -hmm. And then if the teenager feels like that's something that they'd like to do, and it's it's best case scenario if it's their idea, right? Um, and that they have the buy-in to it. So they could ask. And again, just sort of keep the option out there and open. And, um, you know, even uh, if if you have a therapist, like I'm going to my therapy mm -hmm. session, it's just so normalized, right? And then mm -hmm. the teenager's like, hey, maybe I could benefit from that. If that's not the case and, um, you know, the teenager's not going to be the one to, to bring it up, then just sort of, again, suggesting, hey, a lot of people do therapy. I think it might be helpful. I've noticed that uh, it seems like you felt really down lately. And I you know you can always come to me and talk to me anytime. But I also realize that sometimes it's just awkward to talk to your parent. And there's going to be some stuff that you actually don't want to share with me. And I'm okay with that. But I'm wondering if maybe you want to talk to somebody else. Again, the think about it strategy. Don't want an mm -hmm. answer right now. I'm just planting the seed. Want to, you know, I'll water it later. But like, here you go. Think about it. And then they can come back and depending on the severity of what's going on, we might be more forceful about that suggestion. I am, I really want you to talk to somebody mm -hmm. and I'm just going to make an appointment or I'd like to include you in that process. Or would you be open to being included in that process? Can we go and see a person like one time, um, to kind of get their buy-in, but especially because autonomy is so, so important to them at this phase in their life. Um, they, they need to have a lot of buy-in to it. So as much as you can continue to sort of offer like, you know, I think this would be helpful. What do you think? How do you want to be involved in this? And I think also framing it as, you know, like it's any other part of their health and well-being too. Like if your hand was hurting you and you were, you know, like I was noticing that or you were exhibiting signs that your hand wasn't working right, I would send you to the hand person and we would get your hand checked out. So mm -hmm. just trying to normalize that as much as if you had it you know, an ingrown toenail that was festering, I would make sure that you had the access to the, the treatment that you needed so that that wasn't just hurting you all the time. Um, I think sometimes putting it in perspective of that, something that doesn't seem stigmatized, like, like a, like a physical this problem, is just a you know, normal. Yep. Right. 
Rose, this was really high yield stuff. Thank you for coming back Yay. and being a part of People's Week Thanks for having twice. Me. Yeah. <laughs> the amazing music is credited to Skillcell with Pixabay licensure. The podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast should not be taken as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Please consult a medical professional for any medical issues that you may be having. The contents of this podcast are the opinions of the hosts only and do not reflect the opinions of their employers or affiliations. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall Dr. Julie Bruni or Dr. Jeremy Allen or any guest to the podcast be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast.